hand all over the house this evening. Those joining online, we welcome you. Let's sing this hymn of the church, I Feel Like Traveling On. to worship. God bless you.
glorify the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Father, I ask tonight as we get ready, God, to break the bread of life, that you would speak to our hearts. God, we truly serve the God that is the healer. We have seen that. We have experienced that. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is true because, God, even this week alone, you have proven you are the God that still is a healer, that still is a deliverer, that is still a Holy Ghost baptizer. God, you have proven yourself time and time again. So, God, Lord, I pray that those watching online, those that may be in-house, those that may stream this later in time, God, that they would feel the presence of the Lord in their lives, in their hearts, in the midst of their people. God, that they would begin to see the hand of the Lord stirring the atmosphere, moving in the presence. And, God, Lord, this service, Lord, we, we come before you. Lord, I know some are sick. Lord, I know some are uh, at home battling different things. I know some due to the weather and, and cold and rainy and dark. They didn't want to venture out into the roads and, and possibly have any uh, hazardous conditions. But, God, I believe that you can go right to where they are and you can minister to them tonight, too. You can touch them wherever they may be. So, Father, I pray that we commit the rest of this service, that we've already, the things we've already done and the things yet to be done into the loving arms of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord if you can. I'd ask you if you have your Bibles to go to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're going to read there a couple verses of Scripture that... Uh, follow along there with us if you're able to verse 1 through 3 and verse 14 I have read these before in your hearing for various and sundry things um, you know I, I believe that uh, uh, you know the Lord sometimes brings back things to our, re, our remembrance and, uh, and as I was sitting there today just thinking about the order of service and how things were uh, this morning and, and just the way the Lord's been moving the last couple of weeks, I, my mind was brought back to uh, this particular passage of Scripture. Very famous uh, uh, work, if you will, uh, in Scripture. And uh, we're going to read that together. If you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Let me say why you're going to the Lord in prayer. I did receive... Uh, message right before uh, I uh, stepped up to the to the podium that uh, that they've had to take uh, baby Mason back to the ER. He's still having some GI issues, and so they're en route to the hospital even as we speak tonight. So Brooke asked us please to be praying for him. He's not doing too good right now. So I told her we would. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. And the priests, they couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord was so strong. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord in the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. For if my people, this is verse 14, you know this, which are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now before I break the bread of life, I started thinking of that scripture today, and I know I've read it for various parts and pieces, and we've even 
had some times uh, dissected it here before. But as the last couple of weeks, I remember preaching in, in the beginning of January on recapturing the glow of, or the presence of God. And I remember talking about the radiance of Moses' face. And I started thinking about different stories in the Bible. And I thought about this story because of this first line that when they finished with Solomon, when he finished praying, God's presence was so surreal. It was so strong. The Bible said that as soon as he got done praying, it was such a strong presence that the presence of the Lord filled the house so much that people couldn't get in it. Like they had to stay on the outside because the power of God was so strong in, in the house. And I thought about that. You know, the last couple of weeks, especially the last two Sundays, three Sundays if you go back to previous than today, the last two before today, the services, just the presence of God, just whether it's through the singing, whether it was through the preaching of God's word, whether it was through, you know, uh, our prayer time, just the power of God in the room. You know, we should never take that for granted. Because there's a lot of places that Ichabod might be written over the door and he's nowhere to be found. They think he's there, but he's really not there after all. You know, I didn't know when I put this together this afternoon and was thinking about this. I didn't know that Brooke was going to text me right before I would step up behind the podium to read this sacred text and say, I've got to take baby Mason back to the ER. Now, you know, you got to understand, you know, I know God works in a, a mirage of different ways and things are different. But I said it to you this morning, talking about Sister Nina's testimony and others. I, I don't believe you always have to be in church for God to meet you. You know, and we talked about Riley's situation this week. She didn't wreck at church. She wrecked in Goose Creek, nowhere near church. But God was there. I don't know exactly what they'll find out when they go to the hospital tonight for baby Mason. I don't know if they'll have to put him back in again like they did before and do all these different things and extract bodily fluids and things that he can't seem to pass right I don't know what they'll do but I know someone who can go before them before they even get to the hospital and even if God decides to use modern medicine then praise the Lord for that but maybe God can just take care of it and they don't have to stay after all I don't know I know that God is able the Bible said to do exceedingly abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend according to the riches in Christ Jesus I know God's able I know he's able, but I don't know, sometimes I don't always know God's timing. His timing is not always my timing. His ways are not always my ways, but the Bible says his ways are higher than my ways, even so is his thoughts higher than my thoughts, which means God knows things way ahead of time. Before God knew Mason was going to go to the ER tonight before we even got to church this morning. He knew it was coming. Nothing catches God by surprise. So I want us to pray together. Father, I'm asking right now, I don't know the situation other than the limited details I've been given about Mason. But God, I believe you can go before him. You can go to the hospital with them. You can go to the hospital right now and touch them right where they are. Even if they have not arrived yet to the hospital, I can believe, I believe God, you can already be waiting on their arrival when they get there. I believe you can heal Mason wanted to do it immediately 
I believe you could use modern medicine and the marvels of modern medicine to heal Mason if you choose to use that methodology. But ultimately, what I know and what I believe is nothing catches you off guard. Nothing is surprising. And there's absolutely nothing that you didn't see coming ahead of time, even before we thought about it or knew about it. So, God, today I'm asking that you would just be with Brooke, Brandon, Jeannie and Ray, if they're with them, and with little Mason. God, of course, I want you to bless the reading of God's word that we have shared in the midst of the people of God. And I want you to take the coal from the tongue and the coal of the altars of heaven and anoint the lips of clay and help us to not only be hearers but doers of the word. But God, there are people in our family of faith and connected to our family of faith that right now they can't be here and they need the same God we just talked about. They need the God that is a healer. They need a God that is the Lord their maker. They need a God that is a sustainer of life. They need the same God we just sang about. They need that. So today, Lord, I'm asking that you go before them just as you go before us. Father, everything that we do, we say, we do it for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask. In the body of Christ together, said amen. Amen. If you're able to be seated, you can do so at this time, if possible. As I begin to think, I know that we have shared this passage of Scripture before in terms of Bible study and things like that. But I started thinking about the idea of fresh fire. See, when I was growing up as a kid, I have shared this story many times before, and I'll share it with you again. When I was growing up as a kid, we always, as, as, as kids, teenagers at my home church, we always were disappointed if the preacher preached on Sunday night. It was like this little game we all played. We'd kind of have like these little bets and wagers. We couldn't gamble. We were Church of God. It was against the teachings of the church, so we bet like goldfish, not money, you know, chewing gum, you know, things like that, things that wouldn't send you to, you know, purgatory if you lost. It's a piece of chewing gum, you know. But we would go to church, and we'd have church. We'd have children's church Sunday morning, and we we knew, or we, so we thought, at 5 o'clock, the ladies would be in their prayer room, and they would be doing their thing. We always assumed, oh, if all the ladies get in that prayer room at 5 o'clock, by the time 6 o'clock rolls around, they'll walk into church, they'll be on fire, they'll be ready to have church. And, and more often than not, on Sunday night, we'd have these Holy Ghost throwdowns, or what we, we would you know, call the, you know, the, the let your hair down kind of stuff. I mean, we just had church. We didn't care. The doctors in town weren't normally there. The lawyers in town, which we were in Ridgeville, there wasn't really many doctors living out there anyway. But, but, but you didn't have the upper echelon of town coming out there. You know, Farmer Joe might be there, and, and, and I, you know, and Plumber Bob might be there, and we're all just hanging out together, just good old boys and girls and country folk and family. Everybody was family, if you will. Together may not be biological, but we treated every. I mean, we all just were one big happy family. It was like family reunion, and and we'd sing, and then people would start clapping, and start worshiping, and people start shouting, and things would start moving, and, and all kinds of stuff would start happening, and you could kind of feel the atmosphere changing. You could. I remember sitting at the church at the church stage, the way it was designed. Uh, it was a long stage. It was also a wide stage, and I sat on the if you if the pastor's pulpit was like here, I sat on the right-hand side of, of the stage as well. 
and uh, and and the pulp, uh, the the piano and organ were side by side, and and you could almost you could almost see even when they were singing, when they were when people would start, you could almost sense the tide was changing. It was like you you, you didn't really see it, but you could just kind of sense it, kind of felt it. You know, some people call it the anointing. Some people call it the breath of the, the ruah, the breath of God, or the blowing of the Holy Spirit. But you'd be sitting there, and it'd be like almost like air would come through the building. But you knew the air was already on, or the heat was already on. But you could feel like something turned on, like like just a in the room. You know, you didn't always hear it that way, but it's like you felt something just kind of brushed by you, or you feel it, the hair on the back of your head stand. I mean, you just. You could kind of sense it. And nothing maybe, you know, elaborate has changed. They might still be singing Heaven's Jubilee or they might still be singing What a Mighty God We Serve or they might still be singing something of, of that nature. But what would end up happening is you'd start feeling the tide shift. It was as if like high tide, low tide. It was like it shifted gears. And it didn't always happen immediately and then just boom, everything just started being an old time Holy Ghost Pentecostal service. But it would just build slowly. It was like it was a progression. And you'd feel it. And you kind of knew it was coming. And you were just kind of waiting to see who was going to react first. What sister in the Lord was going to react first. What brother in the Lord was going to shout first. Who was going to be the first, if you will. We, you know, we used to have this old church phrase that, that everybody's probably heard if you've been in church you know, longer than five minutes. You've probably heard some Pentecostal preacher or some Sunday school teacher or some person of the way. And the way literally means just you know, the old time way. They have this little phrase. They'd say, oh, I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. And so we had that joke, if you will, as teenagers. We wanted to know who's the first person going to get under the spout at church. Is it going to be brother so-and-so? Is it going to be sister so-and-so? And, you know, the longer you go to church with people, you kind of kind of knew who the people were that were the, the step into the water people, you know, like the, the pool of Bethesda, the first people got in that got healed. You know, we kind of always knew if brother so-and-so steps into the water first, y'all might as well, preacher might as well take his Bible. He might as well shut it. He might as well just sit down because it ain't going to matter because when brother Joe Smith starts to feel the Holy Ghost, the preacher might as well just sit down because it's going to be a while before brother Joe Smith comes back to reality, you know, now Sister Mary Sue didn't, you know, who wasn't one that was very much of a shouter. She came down the altar and prayed quietly. He might, you know, think, well, you know, we'll just wait and see how the Lord moves. And, you know, he might be a little more reserved or whatever. But if, if certain people in the room, or if Brother Bob or Brother Jim or whoever else who never was heard of in church, they were the quiet churchmen. All of a sudden, if one of them shouted, the preacher knew, oh, God's really in the house because they don't even speak to me, much less shout in church. And you would know that because you felt the tide or the sense the tide moving. Some of you have been in churches like that. You've been in revivals like that. You've been in Pentecostals. You've been to camp meetings or tent meetings or, or things like that where, where service started building. And, and even before it really hit its climactic stage, you already kind of felt something's about to happen in this room. It's going to change. Something's going to happen. You know, over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been, you know, I, I reference back to the, the series on, on a fresh start and recapturing the glow of God's presence in our lives and, and having that I, I, over the last couple of weeks, you, you kind of could see it even in our church services. I mean, last Sunday morning, for an example, we sang our praise, we, we sang our call to worship, which is our hymn. You know, it wasn't a bad, it sounded pretty good. Everybody was kind of you know, smiling, looked happy. Everything didn't seem, seem to be normal. I was like, all right, great, we're going to take up tithes and offerings. Sounds good. 
We're going to have meet and greet. People going around shaking hands. Nothing really has changed in the atmosphere. Everything seems to be a normal Sunday. Not that that's bad, but it's just normal. Just, hi, how you doing, brother and sister? Shake hands. Be friendly. You know, uh, you know, most there are some people, they love meet and greets. There's other people that that terrifies them to death because they have to speak to somebody, you know, in church, and, and they're terrified, and so they just kind of become hermits. They're like pew hermits. They just stay there waiting to see if spoken to. And, and, and uh, you know, nothing's really changed. I do the, the announcements, and brother Marion, I believe last Sunday was Scripture and Prayer. He gets up here and he reads the scripture and prayer and everything's great and I say that you know we're going to have Sister Jeannie come up she's just going to bless us with the selection nothing's really happened nobody's shouting yet nobody's doing anything yet everybody's just kind of like okay we're glad to have Sister Jeannie sing you know it's been a while since we've heard her sing we kick off the sheltered in the arms of God and she sings the first verse and there's a few people that's like you know right you know that's, I love that song it's a good song I've sang it before or I've worshipped to it before she sings the chorus she goes to the second verse she sings it but during the song, you just kind of felt the tide just kind of switch gears. You didn't see it. It wasn't like God walked in the room in tangible form and said, I'm here. Hey, guys, how you doing? You know what happened. But in the atmosphere, you just kind of felt like it changed. And then people started worshiping a little bit more, and other people started worshiping. And when she finished, she's crying, and she's walking off stage. I'm sitting over there thinking, okay, God, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. This ain't even in my key. She's singing in the key of never going to be sung by me. And, I mean, she's got it in, you know, keys that I can't even reach. And, and, and I can't sing the bass because it's too low. And I certainly can't sing the tenor because I would be, like, squealing like a, you know, kid who's just learned that he's been turning into a boy from a man to a, I mean, a boy to a man. I can't hit that, so I don't know what to do. I'm like, I can't sing it. But if I change the music, nobody on stage has the right music. So if I switch it to my key, they're going to be like, what is he doing? And it's going to break it. So I'm like, I'm going to have to make the best of this. And so we do it, and we kind of figure it out, and we start singing again. And the tide just keeps building, and it keeps building, and it keeps building. And, you you know, those of you here last Sunday, you know what happened. It just, it just it caught fire. See, most of the time, fires don't just into a blaze immediately. Normally, you have to build a fire. You have to get wood. You have to make sure the, 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 the if you will, the, the conditions, if you will, are right for the fire to catch. If I was to go out to build a fire tonight, I'm probably not going to go get wood that's been sitting outside for the last three days. It ain't going to do very much. It's going to do nothing because it is saturated and soaking wet. The condition of the wood is not ready to be ignited. In order for fire to really take ignition, it needs to be dry. Dry wood needs to be dried. That's the purpose of it. It catches better. Now, sometimes you can use an agent, gas, or a lighter fluid or whatever else, but the wood itself cannot be doused with water and expect it to burn very well. It just doesn't work. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, it is those people who are in dry and barren places that are quicker to catch fire with the Spirit of God than the ones who feel like they don't need God. They're just comfortable and complacent and saturated in where they are. Sometimes our dry seasons are putting us in positions to have a better opportunity to catch fire for the things of God. People look at situations in their lives they look at going through bad things they look at going through difficult seasons and they think to themselves why am i walking through that because maybe god's getting ready to set you on fire the burning bush it caught fire in a desert that's about as dry as you can get in a desert the desert don't have a lot of rain bushes tumbleweed it catches fire it's not burning it just catches fire but it caught fire it was dry 
And I started thinking about that. The conditions have to be right. Well, same thing. We come to church, whether it's the worship, whether it's the singing, whether it's the preaching of the gospel, whether it's the prayers of the saints. The right conditions, when the right conditions are made ready inside the house of, uh, house of God, it will set the opportunity or make the, the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to ignite it and for it to catch fire. The Holy Spirit's not going to catch fire in the church when the church doesn't want him there. If the conditions of the church are it's all about me, it's all about us, it's all about we, and not, nothing about he, then the Holy Spirit's not going to burn. He's just not going to catch fire. Because the conditions aren't right. The Holy Spirit's not playing second. He's not sitting in the second chair. He's not playing second fiddle. He's not sitting. So, so if the conditions is all about us and nothing about him, then it's not going to catch fire. It might be a great concert. It might be a great motivational speech by the pastor. It might be, but it won't be the fire of God because the conditions aren't right. They're not right. Church, whether it's church, whether it's services, whatever it may be, it has to be the right conditions. In 972 B.C., the, under the leadership of King Solomon, they erect what is called the temple or the Solomon Temple. It's beautiful. He uses cedars of Lebanon. He uses gold. He uses the best of the best. And I'm not going to unpack all of that. We've talked about that before. And in Second Chronicles chapter 6, he kind of signs the deed, the creed, the you-know-what of it. He signs the the. the Hey, we're gonna. This is our house. We debt free, burn it, whatever you want to, and here it is. And he decides before they're ever going to utilize this temple that what he wants to do is he wants to have prayer meeting. He wants to pray. He's not letting anybody in the facility. We're not cutting the ribbon. We're not letting everybody go to the Hebrews Cafe yet. We're not letting everybody go. You know, to Bethlehem Breads and Bakery, we're not we're not going. Anybody's going anywhere yet. Before the ribbon is cut, before we have the grand opening, before we flip the lights on and all the multimedia projection screens come on, and we look like we have arrived. He says, "Everybody, stay outside. We're going to pray over this place before we enter into this place." Priests are lined outside. The singers are playing on a flatbed trailer in the front yard. They're not even getting to play in the main sanctuary with the nice sound system they just installed. They're playing on the flatbed trailer in the front yard. He said, we're not going in. We're going to pray. What a novel idea. What if one Sunday morning you got to church and I had the doors locked with chains and I was standing there saying, we're not going in today. We're going to pray here before we go inside. We're all going to stand right outside. We're going to, Sister Sherry and the praise team, they're going to lead you in a Chorus of something right here. Sister Carol's uh, portable keyboard from her house has been set up outside with a, with a hot spot or a little speaker amp. We're going to sing a song real quick to get us to the right. We're going to pray. And once we finish praying, I'll take the padlocks off and we can go inside. Y'all think I have lost my mind. More so than you already think now. You would, you would think I've lost my mind. You'd say, what happened to that guy? He is, he is on something that's not legal. The reality of it is, but actually what Solomon was doing was quite the novelty of an idea. Because the building doesn't mean anything if the presence of God doesn't inhabit the building. In fact, Solomon didn't say it, Paul said it, but Solomon kind of understood it hundreds of years prior that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit 
So whether we walk into the building or not does not determine if God's in the building. It determines if God's with us when we walk into the building. Because when you leave here in about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and whenever you decide to leave, and you get in your car and you drive off, and I finally say, all right, everybody's gone. Okay, good, and flip these lights, and I set the alarm, and I drive off the parking lot. God's not here. This is just a building. It's, yeah, made of bricks and mortar, and it's got all kinds of... But God's not here. He doesn't sit here and say, well, I'll see you on Wednesday and just sit here and wait for us to return. He's supposed to go with you. Emmanuel, God with us. He's supposed to be, when you crank the car, he hops in too. You start driving, he starts driving with you. He, he, he's just, the Lord doesn't want to stay in this structure here. Brother James, he wants to stay in the structure right here called my heart. He wants to go with me. So if nobody shows up to church next Sunday, it doesn't mean God's not here. It means God's somewhere else. The temple of the Holy Spirit's where you are, where I am. God is with us, where we are. The church is to, that's why he said, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come. Take the church to them. If they come to church here, that's great, but it doesn't become church until we get together and we worship the Lord. It's not church until we come together. It's a gathering if we're hanging out, but until we come together, it doesn't become church. You can have Santee Circle Church of God all you want to. If nobody's here, this is not the church. This is a building. In fact, if the building burnt slapped down to the ground overnight, that doesn't mean our church died. We lost our building. We didn't lose the church. We lost the building. If we walked in here, I walked in here tomorrow thinking I'm coming to the office and I come and find it laying desolate on the ground and there's nothing here and I've got to call insurance companies and I've got to figure out what we're going to do because we're displaced now with nothing or whatever it may be and it might be tragic, but the church didn't die. The church didn't get destroyed. Somebody might say, oh, did you hear Sandy Circle Church? Their church got destroyed. No, their church did not get destroyed. Their building got destroyed. Their church is doing just fine because they belong to Jesus. They are the church of Jesus Christ. They didn't lose the church. I've heard people, I've seen people that had tragic things and they say, oh, you know what you hear, brother and sister so-and-so? Man, their church, their church got flooded. No, their church didn't. Their building got flooded. Unless you're drinking water and you flood, the church did not flood. Now, some of you may take water pills and think you're flooded. But the church did not get flooded. You got flooded. But the church, the building got flooded. Because if you say the church got flooded, that means you're saying you're flooded. Not the building. But now if this structure was underwater, when Brother Randy called and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, we got water in the fellowship hall. I could have said, Oh, my goodness, the church is flooded. No, it really isn't, though. I know that's what we say. It's just kind of the nomenclature because we associate it. But in reality, when we had to go back here in the swimming pool that we had created in the fellowship hall when the hot water heater busted, the church didn't flood. The building flooded where we meet to have church. If the church was slapped to the ground, we could put chairs in the parking lot and still say, we went to church Sunday, even if we didn't have a building out here. Solomon says, look, I'm not walking in that building. Until I know God's going with us in that building. And he prays a prayer. He prays a prayer. He knows. I think if you go and count it. Don't hold me to it. But I want to say it was around 63 words. It wasn't a long prayer. He didn't pray for five hours. He didn't pray for every. I remember the story of a little boy. One time they were having guests over for dinner. They asked, 
father of the house said, son, would you like to bless? And he said, oh, yeah, I want to pray for the food. And he started to pray. And they started watching their clock. And for almost seven minutes, he prayed. Never mentioned the food, by the way. But he prayed for everything. Dear Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, I thank you for my dog, Fido. He's a cute little dog. He keeps me company. He's always there for me when my mom and dad get mad at me and they send me to my room. He never gets mad at me. He curls up next to me. Lord, I thank you for my swing set. Lord, I thank you for my jungle gym. Lord, I thank you for my Ninja Turtles. Lord, I thank you for my dodgeball. Lord, I thank you for my skateboard. Lord, I thank you for my, I thank you for my mom's car. Lord, I thank you that my mom doesn't know how to drive her car and you keep us safe. Lord, I th he prayed for everything but the food. Solomon didn't spend seven hours just praying over it. He was very concentrated. He knew methodically what he wanted to say. It wasn't a long prayer. People think, oh, the longer you pray, the more spiritual you are. No, that just means you read a dictionary once when you were bored. That's what that means. I've heard people pray, and they said words you couldn't even, first of all, you couldn't even pronounce them, much less spell them. So when I was in college, I came up with a brilliant idea. It wasn't as brilliant as I thought, but I still think it's brilliant. And if you don't think that's brilliant, then don't tell me otherwise. I want to live in my utopian thoughts that I'm brilliant. But I started talking to people. When people start saying words, I said, I want to do me a favor. Do not use a word you can't spell. Now, if you can spell it, have all the time you want to with it. But I hear people use the word, and I thought, you know good and well you can't spell that word. That word's got 17 different letters. You don't even know how to spell your own letters, your own name, and it's only got five letters. I know you can't do no 17-letter word. You went to Cane Bay. I know. You can't spell that big. I'm just saying, the reality of it is, they'd use these big words, they'd, say, they'd start praying, they'd, start, and they'd say these words, and you'd think, what did they just say? You know, they could say stuff a lot simpler, and we would have understood it. Lord, thank you for being good. They'd be using words so big. You are the most benevolent and everlasting, eternal. You'd be like, God's good? <laughs> Let's just start there. That would be good. Because God's good. That's, that's good. Words you can spell. And so Solomon didn't pray some long, drawn-out prayer because he knew a couple things. One thing he knew is he recognized what was around him. He realized he had every walk of life in front of him because the people that came to church, not all of them were rich people. Some were. Some were people of well means. But some people in the church were poor. They brought widow's mites. They brought copper coins. They didn't bring large uh, bags of silver or denariuses or uh, denarii of, of they just brought copper coins they didn't have everything he, he had rich people he had poor people he, he knew that in that church service he had everybody he had educated people he had some people that weren't so smart so praying this long exhaustive prayer would only make him look good and would take the light off of who really should be the focal point he recognized that there are people there that might be sinners. And I'm going to bust our theological bubble. It's going to shock many of you in here. But not everybody that goes to church is saved. <laughs> Shocking. Not everybody that says they're a Christian actually are. In fact, the Bible says not everyone that actually says, Lord, Lord. <laughs> they're not all going to get inside. Some of them, he's going to go, depart from me. I don't know. Who are you again? That's not what you want God to say to you when you get to heaven. 
The reality of it is that in that moment in time, Solomon realized that they were in a, he had people that might not even know Jesus at church. He was there that Sunday morning dedicating this new sanctuary of worship, and there might be people there that had never been to church before. So they could come in and see this beautiful structure and think, wow, Solomon, boy, you've done a good job. Solomon realized, but it wasn't me, it was him. God orchestrated the steps of a good man and woman of the Lord. God did it. So he recognized there was things. It's the same way in our spiritual journey today. We don't know who comes to church on Sunday morning. We, we might know people. We might, have, we might have people that are friends of ours or people we know through the community that come. But sometimes there might be somebody that comes to our church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. We don't know them from Adam's house cat. We've never met them. We don't know who they are. We've never seen them before. We don't know if they're spirit-filled. We don't know if they've been saved their whole life. We don't know if they've been baptized. We don't know anything about them other than they're there. That's all we know. So in that moment, we have choices to make. Either we preach Jesus and let's find out if their spirit bears witness with our spirit and the Holy Spirit moves in them. Or if they don't know Jesus, they've been introduced to him because that's all we can do. We don't know. There's no way to know. They recognize the problem. They recognize the situation. That's what Solomon did. He said, I don't know. Going back to my analogy of locking the front doors and praying before we came to church. What if we did that, though? What if we came in and said, Lord, we don't know who's coming today. So let us be in tune with your spirit that whenever, whomsoever will, when they come, we'll be waiting and ready for them so that we have an opportunity to show them Jesus. We're not talking about Brother James. We're talking about the real Jesus, not our version of Jesus. I told Brother James this morning, I said, I'm probably the only church in town that has a, a Jesus, that has Jesus go to church with. I mean, like, Brother James looks like Jesus. I mean, you look at every picture of the kind of, of what Jesus would look like. He's going to have, like, a Brother James, he kind of looked to it. He just, he has that aura about him. He just has the perfect hair. It's so flowing. And I'm just thinking, I can't even get a, I can't even grow a beard, much less have nice hair. Like, my beard comes in patches, and I shave it off. I look like cave dwellers when I try to grow a beard. The reality of it is, what if our prayers on Sundays, even before metaphorically, if I didn't lock the front door, but we did these prayers on our way to church, God, we don't know who's going to show up today, but let us be ready when they get here because we don't know who's going to be waiting at the door today. But when they come into the house of worship, when they come into the building, don't let them see the beautiful, the beautiful Ephesus. Don't let them see that the singers are great. Don't let them think that the pastor's the best speaker. But God, let them leave that day knowing they met you and got introduced to you today. What if that was our prayer? What if that was our heartbeat that we wanted them to see Jesus? Because to them, that might be the first time they ever experienced the fire of God. So to them, that would be fresh. That's not day-old bread. That's fresh to them. Something they never tasted for. Something they never seen. That's fresh to them. Isaiah talked about the holy. he wanted the Lord to come down and rend the heavens and be with them. So Solomon prays. But the Bible said after he prays, he says, Amen. You know, Lord, thank you for this house, blah, 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 etc. O Lord, turn not away the face of thine anointed and remember the mercies of thy servant David. Amen. And then verse 1 of chapter 7 kicks in. Solomon is done praying. He said, Amen. He said, So be it. He said, It's been good. All right, let's unlock the doors. But before he could open the door, Something changed in the room. What if when we got out of our car on Sunday morning, we were 
jamming to Hillsong, we're jamming to the Southern Gospel Station, we're jamming to Chris Tomlin, whatever it is, and we pull into the driveway, and we're like, mm, something feels a little bit different today, but we're still head bobbing for Jesus, and we open our door, we get out, and we grab our Bibles, and we grab our umbrellas, and our suit jackets, or our, our coats, and we, we, and when we grab the handle of the front door, and as soon as we pulled back the door, it was as if a weight took the door and slammed it, and we had to step back and said, something else is in that room. Something else is in that room. I mean, Solomon has said amen. He's recognized there may be people there that don't know the Lord. He's ready to just go in. All right, guys, let's go in. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's, let's have a, a, a Danish or a donut in the fellowship hall. We're going to go back into the sanctuary. We're going to worship. Well, let's have our dedication. And right when they're getting ready to open the door, they can't get in. The priest walk, get ready to walk in and say, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. They're getting ready to blow the shofar. They're, they're getting ready to say, oh, magnify the Lord. They're getting ready to do it. But Sister Nina, when they try to get inside, they can't. Because something else is already in the room. You see, this word restoration Solomon had built the temple. David wanted to build it, but Solomon ended up getting to build it. We talk about this word restoration. It, that word restoration comes from that word restore, meaning bringing something back to life or bringing something, you know, it's kind of like people that like to restore old cars. They take an old car that looks like a piece of junk and looks like it ain't worth $5. They go and they buy all this stuff and they sand it down, get it back to the bare elements. They buy all these little antique knobs and this, that, and the other and paint it and they go put it in car shows and they're worth millions of dollars and they look like $5 just a couple of years earlier. It looked like something you wouldn't want your cat to live in three years ago, and now it's a multi-million dollar car. Why? Because they restored it to value. Isn't that what salvation is all about? Salvation took salvation is the act of taking someone's life who looks like it's not much of anything. A life that the devil has pretty much told them, you're not worth anything. You're not worth God saving. You're not worth being You're just worthless. And salvation comes in and says, but God says, I am beautiful in his eyes. And salvation becomes a restoration process where it starts cleansing. It starts moving things around in my spirit. It takes the old things and they make some new things. And it gets rid of the junk and gets me something new. I get a new perspective of life. It, it becomes a restoration process. I got rid of who I was, worthless, all this stuff that I thought I didn't amount to anything. And when God came, he made beauty for ashes, joy for pain, gladness for sorrow, joy for weeping in the nights. He restored the, in that what, uh, I believe it's Joel. Is that what he said? Or it's actually, it might be Job. I'm sorry. Job. He said, the Lord will restore everything I've lost, everything I've been forgotten, all of the stuff. God can give it back just like that. Job said it like this the Lord gives and he takes away. But still, I'm going to bless his name. That's what salvation does. Salvation, salvation takes all the stuff that makes me feel, look, and seem like nothing. But when Jesus gets a hold to my 
messed up life, my marred clay, kind of like the story of the potter, uh, the, uh, the, the vessel of, 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 of clay in the potter's hands. When everybody else walked by the potter's field, Jeremiah said they looked at the pottery and said, that's junk. It's marred. It's broken. It's useless. There's nothing. I mean, it's what, just throw it away. Get rid of it. It's a piece of junk. You know, I've often heard the old adage said, you probably heard this by someone before, one man's junk is another man's treasure. I've often thought, is one person's dentures another person's set of teeth? Did it apply like that? I mean, I just don't know. Like, does one set of chompers work for someone else's set of chompers? But when they walked by the pottery field, people said, that's junk. The pot is broken. The chips, the paint chips are flaking off. It looks like it's, I mean, it's already cracked. I'm not paying you $5 for that. I'm not paying you $45 for that pottery. I wouldn't pay you five cents for it. The paint is chipping off. It's cracked. It's messed up. It's junk. Take it down to Goodwill. In fact, don't even give it to Goodwill. Throw it in the backyard and just let the birds do something with it. It's junk. But it wasn't junk to the potter. Bible says the potter smashed it and broke it completely into pieces and took all the pieces and put it back on the kiln and he started forming it again. And that spinning wheel, he formed it, he formed it, he formed it and when it was all said and done, God said, now what do you see, Jeremiah? He said, oh, I see something beautiful. Same thing that everybody else said was junk in the right hands, the hands of the potter, it was restored to something incredible. I've used this analogy before. But it's probably one of my favorites of all time, so you probably already know it, but you know what? Suck it up and act like you've never heard it before and make it brand new tonight. There was a guy who was doing an auction, and he somebody had donated a violin, and they brought it up, and the strings were all messed up. The bow was all deformed. It looked horrible. And so the auctioneer said, who wants this violin? We'll start the bidding at five bucks. It's a piece of junk. And somebody's like, yeah, I'll give you five dollars. He said, okay, I got five dollars, five dollars. I'm going to give you six dollars. I'm like, all right, I'll give you six. Just let's move on. By that point, somebody in the back of the room's like, just get it over with. We don't care what it is. Just get it over with. We don't, we don't want the violin. It's junk. Nobody wanted it. Older gentleman, a weathered man, comes from the back of the room. He walks up and he picks up the violin that is, the, the strings are all messed up and disheveled, the bow is all messed up and he reaches in his pocket and he takes out a little bit of oil and he puts it on the, the if you will, the smooth part of the bow and he kind of wipes it off. And he sits there for a minute and he starts restringing violin. Same strings that were already on it, but just restrings it. Tightens them up. A few minutes, he does a bow, and he's like, and he, and he takes it off. He strings it back. He keeps working it. And everybody watches this man like, what is he doing? It might have only been five, maybe ten minutes, but it may have seemed like longer. He begins to finally get it, and so he sits down, and he kind of checks, and he kind of and once he feels like he got the right sound he wanted, he sits there and he plays a song. And all of a sudden, people said, I, I'll give you $100 for it. 
I'll give you 200, 300, 500. I'll give you 1,000. I'll give you 2,000. I'll give you 5,000 for it. When somebody finally bought it, they asked at the end of the auction, they said, what changed? What changed? They said it was all in whose hands the violin was in. It was all based on the touch of a master's hand. He restored the violin. The man that came up and fixed the violin was known as a man last name by the man of Strauss who made some of the top-notch violins of all times. Some of the best of the best. He knew how to make the violin sound. He, it wasn't his violin, but he knew how the violin was supposed to work. He restored it. Jesus knows what our lives are supposed to be, so he knows how to fix them when no one else knows how. He knows how to get them right. So they stand there. The presence of God is so strong. It's, it's, it's so surreal. Everything's going great. And then there's, if you will, this renovation. Everybody finally, the presence of the Lord is so strong, it's so surreal. They're in the house of worship. The Bible says fire falls. We read it. We read it in our reading. When he finished praying, the presence of the Lord is so strong, the priest came in and fire fell down from heaven. Never been seen like that, but that's incredible. Fire just, that's, you don't just normally see fire just spontaneously combust in church without help. We see it in stories like the prophets of Baal, Mount Carmel. We, we see it where it happens, but nobody lit it. God lit it. God ignited the flame. And they begin to walk through the building. People begin to see the gold-plated walls. They saw all of the ornate carvings and features of the temple of God, and they were amazed. And the Bible says that the glory of the former house, the latter house, will be greater than that of the former house. Now, some people might say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? I don't think Solomon, that scripture was talking about that the temple Herod would build years later after the Maccabean revolt and other things came in and destroyed the temple. I don't believe that they're talking about Herod's temple would be greater than Solomon's temple. Because Solomon's temple, Herod's temple was kind of made back, but it wasn't with all the cedars of Lebanon and the gold. It would never be the same. It says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former house. I think I know what it was. Me. Me. Because to Jesus... I was more valuable than gold and silver. And Solomon's temple might have been a multi-million dollar structure, but Jesus didn't care about dying for that one, but he did for me. He didn't die because he was trying to raise up a revolution so that we can rebuild Solomon's temple. I'm dying so we can build another building. Jesus didn't come to the world to say, I'm dying so you can build a bigger church on the property in the front lawn so that everybody else can see how big of an emphasis you build in your little kingdom here on earth. He died not for the kingdom of a piece of property and a building on a piece of property. He died for me. Not the building. This building burns down tonight. Jesus didn't die for this building. He died for the church. Who's the church? Me. He died for me. 
didn't die for us to have 1211 North Highway 52 and to have some chandeliers and to have some instruments. That ain't what he died for. He didn't give up his life so we could have a sound system. The Bible said Jesus gave his life for the church. A man should love his wife like Christ loved the church, willing to lay down his life for her. Jesus died for the church, not property, not buildings, but me. The Apostle Paul described it like this, for your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your body. Honor God. You are his church. Solomon's temple was beautiful. But nothing is more beautiful to Jesus than when someone's life is who's someone's life that's in disarray and destroyed is changed by Jesus Christ. Your buildings don't matter. Your Ephesus don't matter. Your property doesn't matter. Your Taj Mahals of church buildings don't matter if God's not there. You can build our little kingdom. We can build our little kingdoms all we want to. But if God is not in the building with us, then all we have is our own little kingdom. And it will perish away. The Bible says the things of this world will perish away. But lay up for your treasures in heaven where neither moth rust, thieves, they can't break in, they can't steal, they can't destroy. This building one day will burn slack to the ground when time is ended. But the church triumphant will rise up because Jesus said his church was going with him. So the building might get burned down when the end of time comes. But I don't plan on being here to see it because I'm going with the church people. I'm going to church in heaven. I'm going with Jesus. Where I'm going. You know, we have property here. And we're getting, Miss Carol, you can come. We have property here that we've been renovating. We're getting ready to do some more renovations in the back. And we've recently done some with hot water heaters and carpets and other things. And we're going to do more. That's great. I'm all about making God's building that we, we come to looking beautiful, just like you like to make sure your houses look good. I mean, I'm all about doing that. But Sister Patricia, I could spend millions of dollars and make this place become one of the seven wonders of the world and everybody from all over the world come by to see the great prestigious Santee Circle Church of God, kind of like they would to see the, you know, the big, uh, uh, you know, churches in Rome or a place like that or the, uh, all of the, you know, different, go downtown and look at those famous, you know, Huguenot churches and things like I might could build a, a Ephesus that people come and they might think that all over the world come to see the building. They might travel like they do all over the world, going to Italy and to France to see all these Catholic churches and St. Stephen's and St. Paul's and St. Michael's, Basilia and all these. They might travel the world to see it. But you know, when you stand there, Brian and I had the opportunity to do this when we were on, I believe it was in Arizona or somewhere, I don't remember. We went to this church, I believe it was in Arizona. Might have been Texas. We walked in this building. Oh, it was beautiful. Big stained glass windows. Arch ceilings. I mean, it it was breathtaking. There was a couple people up front. I believe it was a Catholic church, I believe. It, there was a couple people lighting some candles up front. A couple people doing prayers. And, but it, overall, it was just quiet. I'm not saying church always has to be noisy. But I mean, it, you walked in and people were taking pictures. And I mean, it was breathtaking. Beautiful. But when we walked out, it was still just a building. That's it. It was a building. Beautiful. Took some pictures and we left. My life wasn't forever changed. I didn't come home and think, I'll never be able to do anything again. What a beautiful building. 
I brushed my teeth just as good before I saw the building as I did after I saw the building. It didn't change my life. I wasn't any more richer before. Well, I was actually broker, broke, broke. I was less money than I was before because it cost money to go do it. But, but outside of losing some money, I, I, my life wasn't altered because I saw a beautiful building. It was beautiful. But my life wasn't forever changed because I saw it. I had a new appreciation of architecture and I had a new appreciation of things, but I wasn't like, I didn't lose sleep over the fact of it. I mean, it didn't change my life. I could build, we could build in the next three, four, five years, we could build the best of the best out front. But if God doesn't go in those buildings with us, God's Spirit doesn't go with us from now until those buildings get built. If God's presence doesn't reside with us until that church becomes the church that we meet in or the building we meet in for church, if His Spirit doesn't go, that building is not worth anything. It's not even worth the ground it's built on. Because one day it'll just lay flat in ruins. Solomon's temple eventually laid flat in ruins. Herod's temple eventually was laid flat in ruins. But the Bible says the people that belong to God they will not be destroyed because God's going to have a remnant. He's going to have a church so the devil can do anything he wants, but God's going to have a people. You're not destroyed. So for me, when I think of fresh fire, I think about the conditions and the way they need to be. I think about the services we had the last couple weeks, and I thought to myself just this, this afternoon, I thought, God, let that just be a taste of what you're going to do down the road. Let what we've experienced the last two weeks, let that just be like an appetizer. Let it just be a few mozzarella sticks and a couple pork skins to what the main course is going to really taste like. That's great that we have people that worship on stage. You know, a couple people worship on stage or one or two people come up and pray. But Lord, let, let sons and daughters that are lost come to church and get saved. Let children and young adults and teenagers get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And before, Brother Larry, we even go pray for them, the Holy Spirit starts working in their life before anybody touches them. God touches them before we get to them. Let more miracles happen. Not that I'm not thankful for the ones we already have. Oh, I am. But let God, let's see you do more. Let's see you do bigger. Let's see cancer be healed. Let's pray the prayer of faith and see cancer be eradicated. Let's have migraines go away. Let's have brain tumors disappear on scans. Let's see real life God-like stuff happen in people's lives. And God, when the time comes we build a building, great. But when we build it, let more people come to know you and let that building get packed. Let us go to two services in that building. Let's find more property after you. Not because we're trying to build a multi-million dollar facility and have hundreds of thousands of people to make us something, but we want to reach everybody we can and tell them Jesus is still God. He's still alive and well. God, whatever you give us, send them our way so that we can show them you. So what if this Sunday coming up, we couldn't get in the building because God was already here before we got here and His presence was waiting on us. Well, that'd be church. That would be church. Based on the last couple weeks, I don't put it past it that God couldn't just show up right before we even sing next Sunday morning. God could just walk in the building. And we go, we just going to stop right here and let Him do His thing. It's a fresh fire. I don't want to live off of what happened two weeks ago. I don't even want to live off of what happened this morning. God, I want you to do something fresh next this week coming. I want next Sunday to be your presence encountered even more than I encountered it today. That's my heart. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, 
I believe with all my heart you have a a plan for your people, a vision for the people of God. And God, I believe with all my heart that, Lord, you want to do great things for your people. I believe the things we've experienced the last couple weeks are, Lord, just, Lord, appetizers, if you will, to what you really want to do. Father, I believe there are people that still need to experience you in a powerful way. They still need to have a touch from Almighty God in a way that they can't explain. So God, today I'm asking, Lord, for this people, this body of believers, both at home, watching online, and those in-house today, I pray you would honor the prayer of this pastor. Lord, when we come back together, whether it's on Wednesday or next Sunday, let your presence come with us and let us feel you like we've never felt you before. Just come down, saturate us, resonate us with us. Let us marinate in your spirit. Let us just be captured and enamored and engulfed by the spirit of God. Father, I pray for the body of believers that are in this house that you'd bless them and keep them. You make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, and lift up your countenance towards them and give them the peace of God. This surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till we come again. Father, let the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart this week be acceptable and pleasing. In your sight, our Lord's strength and Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray.